Hello all, it's October 15th, 2020, and this is Coffee with Jim. We're so fortunate today to have with us a deeply experienced physician leader, Dr. Carolyn Byer O'Connor. Her patients say about her, incredibly thorough, competent, compassionate family medicine physician. Over 80% of her patients rated her as superior. In addition to being a great clinician over the last 34 years, she's been an inspirational community leader in many roles for the last 11 of those years. We're so lucky to have you here with us today, Carolyn. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Before we get into our leadership discussion, wonder if I could just ask you a few, let's say, curiosity questions. For example, favorite sports team? UCLA Bruins, no matter what sport it is. <laughs> okay. I went to UCLA. I went there for undergrad, med school, and residency, and that's where my heart is. Well, hard to argue, especially with all of those sports teams and wonderful part of the country. Favorite hobby? I think it's book reading. I love books. I love fiction and nonfiction. It's, it's my favorite way to relax. Terrific. Well, so let's shift gears now into our leadership discussion. And I know you and I have had a couple of dialogues. In the past, you know, when I've asked you, you know, how did you become such a long tenured successful leader? You humbly said to me that you were an accidental leader. My response to that would be, well, our community and multiple communities, it's been an enormous windfall for us, for your patients, for, for your teams. Here are just a couple of your leadership titles. Currently, the Department of Family Medicine head at Adventist Healthcare, Shady Grove Medical Center, past chief of staff at Shady Grove, past president Montgomery County Medical Society, part of Georgetown faculty, and there's so much more. So I'll stop there and I'll just humbly ask you, tell us more about Accidental Leader and, and your leadership journey. Well, as I've said to you in the past, I never really set out to become a leader. I didn't have a well thought out plan of, of advancement. I, coming out of residency, thought I would just practice medicine and get a paycheck and, and that was my plan. And I had a young family and I was very busy and that's, you know, I didn't have a lot of extra time. But when I first joined my practice in Rockville, Maryland, one of the physician, family physicians ahead of me who had been there for some years said, you need to get involved. You need to get on the hospital staff because we admitted our own patients in those days. And she said, you need to step up and participate in the department, starting with volunteering to be on the peer review committee for your department. And then you hang around there for a while and later find yourself being chairman of peer review. And then you ascend to being vice chairman and then chairman and so on. And so I took that to heart. I've always been a someone who, if someone said, you're really supposed to do something, I'm that type of person who says, oh, I should, probably I should do that. So that's how you got your start. There were some leadership attributes that others saw in you. Tell me more. I think that I tend to be someone who goes all in. I, I've always sort of enjoyed stepping up and doing these because I like people. I find new novel things I haven't done to be interesting. I love getting more experience with stuff and learning. And then I think I had told you the story previously that uh, after being chairman of my department for a couple of years at the very end of the 1990s, I stepped back into just practicing and whatnot. And then I think it was in 2010, our family medicine department, normally the person who's vice chairman becomes chairman. The person who was set to step up said because of family reasons, he did not want to be chairman in our 
department had to scramble to find someone to step in on short notice. And it was thought that we should get one of our past chairmen to do it this year. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. In my usual way, I tend to have a loud mouth. My husband would say, boy, you know, she will have an opinion and will be only too ready to give it. And at the end of the year, they said, gee, we're looking for uh, someone to join the leadership ladder of the medical staff leadership at Shady Grove. And I, do you want to do it? And I said, yes, I want to do it. So uh, that's when I became secretary treasurer and then vice president and then for two years, I was president of the medical staff. Well, that's a lot. In one of our previous discussions, you, you also talked a little bit about a family medicine physician kind of bring to leadership roles. Any comments there? Yes. I think that family physicians are well suited to this type of role because I think that we are good with people. I mean, it takes a certain mindset of liking people, liking to think about different things. My practice, I see patients of all ages from newborns to, I have a couple of 102 year olds right now that I, I'm proud to take care of. And, you know, in family medicine, you need a certain alacrity of, of mind because you never know really what the patient's gonna present with when you walk through the door. Maybe it's a physical, maybe it's follow-up of a routine problem, but other times we always start as we are trained to do with an open question of what can I do for you today? And literally you never know. I think that that makes it interesting and fun and challenging at all times. And I think that that same connection with people and willingness to learn and listen is useful for leadership. And the, the other thing I think most family physicians, unless they're in a very narrow practice where they're just doing sort of one type of medical care, we never are experts. We're the jack of all trades. And so we are constantly learning. I'm constantly consulting with UpToDate to refresh my memory or learn more about a topic. And I think that when you're in leadership, you have to trust your team that is behind you to provide maybe expertise in their area and then see where the organization needs to go. So the a leader that believes them to be the expert on everything that they're the folks part of their team that they that they would imagine they knew as much or more about their business is doomed to fail. And or will be a micromanager and it'll be to the organization's disadvantage. Well, that hints to a lot of the attributes that you bring to your many leadership roles, obviously collaboration, humility, teamwork, and that enables us to shift gears a little bit to the beginning of this year, when things started to heat up, so to speak, in February, with COVID cases growing and the pandemic kind of formally announced in early March, you and others were tapped to step into specialties that were not your specialties. For example, in one case, you were invited and volunteered to step in as a hospitalist. Yes, Shady Grove was getting ready to receive the surge that they expected and did, did see. They were concerned about having a deeper bench of hospitalists because no one knew you know, whether people would get sick or that the flood of patients could be so overwhelming that the team that was already doing hospital medicine would, would you know, run dry. Physicians in the hospital were asked if they would step up, and I said that I would. I was never actually called. 
from the minor leagues, but I did volunteer and I was proud to do it. I, I've often said that there's nothing good that comes of this, this pandemic. Of course, 200,000 plus Americans have died and countless others suffering and families that have suffered, but, uh, and business and the economy and, and so many terrible repercussions. But I have to say as a physician, you know, you've always heard about this, say, 1918 flu pandemic. This came along and I'm glad I didn't miss it. I wouldn't want to miss it. I, I think that's odd. And I was, had some personal fear. Again, I was never called up to actually become a hospitalist, but I, I was ready. And they, we, we were well supplied with PPE, Not, nothing extra to burn, but the planning that went in at Shady Grove was excellent. And throughout Adventist Healthcare, I felt confident that I'd have the supplies I would need if I were there. I, I did have a certain modicum of anxiety about my personal health and safety, but I also actually was more worried that I couldn't do the job because it had been over 10 years since I last did hospital medicine other than normal newborn nursery. I just didn't want to embarrass myself, but I knew that my friends and colleagues there were going to be behind me all the way and that uh, I would hardly be asked to start running ventilators in the ICU or at least not without a heck of a lot of training. And I think I would have been designated to do some less advanced care, but I was very excited to be asked and frankly, it, it still could happen. So I shouldn't say that it's over. Right, especially as we are heading into winter and a lot of unknowns, especially adding flu into the mix and things like that. I do remember in a previous discussion, you said when the pandemic kicked in, if my colleagues needed me, I see them as, as friends, much more than colleagues. And you said, if I didn't step up, I never would have uh, forgiven myself. Exactly right. And so then what happened was a few months into it, you started a COVID diary. Why and, and what have you learned from that process? I did it because for probably kooky reasons, I kept talking to friends and colleagues and whatnot and thinking about how we adopted telemedicine and the progression from Friday the 13th of March when we first decided we were going to need to do this. The two platforms we're using were loaded on my computer at the office. I have said as, as a sideline to that, Jim, that I never thought I would do telemedicine. I never thought I needed to. I knew that it was something that was out there, but I have plenty of patients. I've been in practice a long time. I love being in the room with the patient. I thought, why would I, why would I ever need to do this? But then it obviously in the emergency and the safety of myself and my staff and my patients, it, it became absolutely necessary. So we, we loaded up the platforms for telemedicine on a Friday. I, I tried to do two, two visits that way on the Monday and failed. Ended up calling the patients on the phone to take care of whatever it was. The Tuesday, I saw four patients on telemedicine. And the Wednesday, I saw 12 of 14 patients. And I never looked back. And I actually didn't see a full panel of in-person visits in the office until about three weeks ago in, in the early October or late September. But the other aspect to that of the diary was that I kept telling this story and I was starting to see that the details might slip and I thought, you know what, I got to write all this down. I got to write down what happened on what day and how I felt about it. And it was a good stress reliever. It, it just felt momentous. I've never really kept a diary. I used to keep a travel diary. When I'd go on a long trip, I'd write notes each day about what we did and what I felt. 
another aspect of, of the remembering was that I found it, the whole thing in March and April, it was so overwhelming. I mean, it was frightening, you know, the relentless news. It was every story on every newscast every day. And the, so you had the personal fear, wondering really how bad is this gonna get? And then also I, again, going back to sort of the, maybe the silver lining side of it was that as a physician and student of science, I just, it was, absolutely engrossing and I would go to meetings and I could hardly absorb the information fast enough because it just was overwhelming and it but it was exciting too fascinating and a psychiatrist colleague said well physicians like to intellectualize everything but that that might be part of it but also it just got the juices running as far as learning I remember being on calls with the Maryland Department of Health where we were tracking the epidemiology. I went on a CMS call that had people from NIH and uh, physicians all over the country. There, were, there was a pulmonologist from Seattle who had just been through their little mini surge at the very, very beginning in February and about proning patients on ventilators. I mean, I was just completely absorbed and I wanted to write this down to remember what it was like. Fascinating to hear that, you know, your shift, your mentality around telemedicine, because the personal touch with the patient was so important to you now. A modest uh, shift, how does one create an appropriate website manner? For me, the part I have the most trouble with is the IT aspect, because if my patient is struggling to get on the platform, I started to learn the troubleshooting tips, you know, you inevitably do, but I can't say I'm a very computer literate person, so that has always been very stressful and challenging. But, you know, one thing that came of it was the, especially I think my older patients, I think it was very comforting. It was comforting to me to be able to see familiar faces. I mean, here we are all pretty isolated at the time. They were isolated and I was isolated. And remember, I've been practicing for 34 years, so, I would see my own patients who I already know and have known for years. And I think it was a comfort to both them and me. And we would talk about how odd this is, or, you know, here we are, and uh, how are you holding up? And they would ask me. That's how I did it. I won't say that every interaction was perfect. You know, there were glitches and, and uh, both personal and audio was cutting in and out and you're both drive, being driven crazy. Uh, not only a necessary tool, but it really, I think it was helpful to have contact with their primary care doctor. Well, it sounds like you really kind of coming into who you are there in that moment, just finding so many ways to be able to connect with, with people and with patients. So a quick shift. Some of the other things that are popping up today that are challenging, of course, there's COVID, the pandemic, there's social unrest, there's economic challenges, and there's this, this topic of misinformation coming out now, which can be really challenging for caregivers, for medicine, for patients. What are your thoughts on that? It's something that I feel passionately about. We need to focus on this. I, I think it's a shame that in our current time of divisiveness and acrimony in our country that something that affected health became politicized and became a weapon to use against others. Misinformation is dangerous. It's dangerous to patients, it's dangerous to caregivers, and it's dangerous to society. 
on a larger scale. I, a few thoughts I have on this topic. One, I am glad to say that our part of the country, the adoption of wearing masks has been relatively accepted. We don't see a lot of discord in that regard. But, you know, I think as far as the masks go, those who might oppose are really wrong. People have to realize the mask is not so much for the wearer, it's protecting others. Protecting others, part of the idea is bending the curve, if you remember the watchwords from March, April, and May. We don't want our hospitals to be overwhelmed. We need to manage our beds, our ICU beds, and our ventilators. So protecting others and protecting the community by wearing a mask is making it so that if my loved one needs the hospital and needs a ventilator, that it's going to be there for them. And your liberty is not more important than other people's lives. It's the same as obeying the speeding laws or the drunk driving laws. You do it for other people. I think that part of what drives this is fear and ignorance. I think we need to combat ignorance with good schools, and we need to combat fear with reliable information. I think that uh, people need to be educated. I hope that your primary care physicians won't have such an uphill battle of convincing people, one, to wear masks, and when the time comes to have a vaccine, that we will succeed in convincing people of the need and the benefit and the safety that needs to be there when it's approved properly with the proper testing of safety and efficacy. Great thoughts there, Carolyn. You mentioned you wear masks for others. Who do you wear your mask for? Well, I do it for my patients because I mentioned I have two 102-year-old patients. Now, that doesn't mean I mean that I'm in the room with them necessarily, although I did see one of them this week. So, But out in the greater world, I wear it for my sister who has some underlying health conditions and some of our older relatives that are out there. I just do it for others. Wrapping up today, how might you summarize what makes an ideal leader? Well, I don't say that I have the uh, perfect understanding of that, but again, I think it's a willingness to listen and learn, to be flexible, open-minded. The pandemic showed how we have to be ready to pivot on a dime all the plans for 2020 that fell to pieces and goals that might have been set at the end of last year that went right out the window in March. I've seen organizations really step up, both my hospital and Adventist Healthcare, and furthermore, the Medical Society, which I have not spoken much of today, but the Medical Society is a membership, society, uh, membership organization, but this year, they immediately opened all of their materials on managing your practice of uh, the loans and grants that were out there, the the PPP, the CARES Act, the where to get PPE, you know, how to do telemedicine, all of kinds of resources that the Medical Society jumped right in to offer and offered to all physicians in Maryland, uh, regardless of membership, because they knew it was the right thing to do. And that pivot, you know, I'm sure they had programs and whatnot they were planning for the year 2020. And changed what it was going to be about, just like everyone else. So I think it's been amazing to see how folks have pivoted, as I say, to meet the needs of the 
our patients and our community. Well, that is excellent. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for taking time with us today. Thanks for your many years of experience. Thanks personally for helping in our community where we live. Thanks for your energy and guidance during this tough time. Thanks for your passion. So grateful to you for spending time with us today. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I enjoyed it.